You're listening to the RT Today podcast, featuring some of our best bits from the show on RT One weekdays at 3.30. We have our news panel with us in studio. We have broadcaster Anton Savage. We have journalist Geraldine Herbert. And on Skype, we have entrepreneur Nora Casey. Last of all, you're over far. Anton, we're going to start with you. Yes, the news that um, Ray Fiennes has turned that age where um, white middle-aged men get informed that they now have to spend their time complaining, whinging and moaning about stuff that is utterly inconsequential to them uh, and doesn't impact on, on anybody else much either because he has decided that he has a problem with trigger warnings before theatre productions. He said that this thing of telling people there may be nudity, there may be some mutilation, there may be murders, deaths, killings, whatever yeah. else, that that takes the... I'm paraphrasing slightly, but takes the surprise out of the mutilations yeah. when they happen, which yeah. is the key part, and that people should be shocked uh, by theatre. This is a completely specious point, because for years we've had exactly these trigger warnings. You know when you buy a movie and it says X on yeah. it? That's to give you a trigger warning of what might be in it. It doesn't change the content, the fact yeah. that you know it's on the way. The same thing, the fact that somebody has a trigger warning saying, by the way, there's going to be something offensive, but Rafe has said that uh, this should be taken out, and Ian McKellen, the Scottish um, the legendary uh, British actor has said that he had been in theatre where he had seen warnings about loud noises, warnings about flashing lights, and warnings about um, uh, violence. And he said that it was um, belittling theatre audiences and their intellect. Oh. I think they have to warn about things like flashing lights and strobe lights and things like that. So that's fair enough. But. How do they make these warnings? Does somebody come out and say it before and or is it written on the poster? It varies hugely. The ones that McKellen got annoyed about was that it was written on the poster. Uh, Ray Fiennes, I think, is annoyed about people coming out at the start and saying it. And he made points like that in King Lear there is some fairly grotesque bodily mutilation. But the fact that you say there is bodily mutilation doesn't make it any less horrendous when you actually see it. I mean, it's like the crying game. I can tell you there's full frontal nudity in it. It's still a shocker when you see it. Yeah, Okay. But, Uh, what do you think? But then what's the point yeah. of it? You see, this is, this is what I wonder about. Now, I, I, I can understand, in essence, what trigger warnings are about, but I think at this stage we've got to the point where, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many things that people find offensive and there's so many things that people are going to be alarmed about that there's so many trigger warnings. Yeah. They have actually conducted research on this that they do very little in the sense that it doesn't, as you say, lessen the impact. And if anything, it makes people anxious before they see things yeah. because they have been warned about this. Mm-hmm. So I think we're getting to the stage where we do have to say, look, what's the point? And maybe we don't need quite as many because they're losing their impact. Yeah. Well, we asked uh, viewers what they thought about this. So 152 people were surveyed on this. 42% we should stop, said we should stop trigger warnings. Uh, 58% said we shouldn't stop them. I don't know. Nora, what do you think of that? Because, like, say, for example, if you're watching a horror, or, or uh, even if it's happening in front of you, like, what do you want? There's a neon sign going, eh, 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 eh. Like, where's the crack of that? But the worst is when they don't give trigger warnings and you think you're having a great entertaining night, it's slashing rain outside and suddenly, you know, there's some violent images on the screen. Personally, I like to know if they're doing something about domestic violence, for instance. It's not my idea of something that I want to sit and relax to on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night. I think The Crown did it really well with Diana and the issues around bulimia. There's a lot of people who felt a bit nervous about watching that. I mean, I accept that um, Shakespeare can be quite bloody, but we all know the story. The reality is 
you know, film and television production and docudramas, they're so brilliant at what they do, you could almost be there. So they make it very, very real for people. It's the inconsistency. I, I would say triggers for the unexpected rather than the expected. You know, if you know it's going to be violent and there's going to be mutilation and it's going to be horror, that's fine. It's when they don't warn you and suddenly you come across somebody having a panic attack or something that might trigger somebody who's a little more sensitive in that space. Your, your uh, survey results don't surprise me because you know, that probably mirrors the number of people who would say they might have mental health issues or mental wellness issues around areas in that space. Well, Nora, what's this we hear now about the um, Irish ambassador to the US getting a fancy new digs? What's happening there? It's like the Ferrero Rocher ad the other way around instead of, um, you know, treating the guests, treating the ambassador. But I should say that Geraldine Byrne-Nason is the ambassador to the US and she's a brilliant woman, very impressive. But... I think embassies and residences should be stylish and smart. They should be a little like Ireland themselves. And when they're overly lavish or excessive, then sometimes they actually work to the opposite. You can be too big for your boots or trying to pretend too hard. This is an 11 million mansion and it has 13 bathrooms pool it's got nine bedrooms they've leased it for years the story's been running for some time but it doesn't make it any less tough for people to hear that if they're trying to rent a room or they think you know they're trying to get their foot on the home ladder the tone at the moment is very much about the public sector minding money i don't think the timing is too great to be announcing an 11 million mansion in saying that, it's an embassy row on 30th Street in Washington, so it's near the White House. It looks like a mini White House if you go online to see it. It looks like a little White House, but very lavish, very over the top. Yeah, what, 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 what do you think about the timing of this, Anton? Yeah, I mean, it's slightly unfortunate, but I mean, they do need to have an embassy. This is one of those things where it's, I think the phraseology is unfortunate because it is described as the ambassador's residence, which makes it read like, we're spending what on a gaff for who? Mm -hmm. The reality is ambassador's residences are places of the most dull business in the entire world. I've been in a couple. Um, I have been in the, I won't say which embassy, but I've been in an embassy in Ireland and I've been in an Irish embassy abroad. And in both instances, they were the kind of social events where after about 20 minutes, you're like, oh my God, get me out of here. That's what they get used for. They bring in the business community. They bring in local representatives. It is in either networking evenings or social evenings. It's all that kind of stuff. And you're packing the place with 80 or 100 people. So there is a need to have some level of space. As to how big it needs to be, you can parse it. But I think you'd struggle to find any embassy anywhere that isn't in a big, posh, fancy building that you can stuff a lot of people into. Now, let's move on to our, new story, our next story, uh, Geraldine. 48 hours to go until, uh, is it your favourite day of the year as well, Valentine's Day? Uh, no, I mean, it, it usually just passes without me even thinking too much about it. It's one of those things, I think, if you're single, you think everybody who's in it as a couple are having a great time and it's, they're marking it. And as a, then when you're in a couple, you go, really, are we actually going to bother? But I think Conor Pope has done a, a great job at really putting a damper on, him, mm-hmm. on Valentine's in the, in the Irish Times when he's listed the cost of everything. And he's actually managed to calculate anywhere between 450 and 500 for just a fairly mundane day in the sense of flowers, 
dinner for two, um, a gift, you know, 100 euros, chocolates, whatever. That's the sort of money you're looking at. So you really do have to wonder. I'm sorry, that's crazy. I accept what Geraldine says about um, Conor Pope doing a good job, but I, have, I want to disagree strongly with one of the things that Conor Pope says because he suggests that the purchase of four-court flowers says, I'm phoning it in. Connor has never really obviously worked out that if you get two bags of four-court flowers, take them out of the wrapper and stick them together. They look yeah. a lot like a bunch of roses. Yeah, and spread, spread out the petals a little bit. Spread out the pe- get some more of that That's baby's good. breath guff and stick it in the middle. There we have it. You're good to go. <laughs> that so baby's breath guff? That that baby's, yeah, they tell you pack out roses. Baby's Flesh breath guff. Flesh it out, yeah. So apparently normal roses will cost you 80-something, nearly something 90 quid a throw for a dozen <laughs> roses. And if you go to German discounters, you can get them for about half that. Yeah, Nora Casey, I see you nodding there. You're agreeing with Anton? Yes, I'm nodding because I spent the winter going to funerals and they're bloody expensive too. So I think celebrating love is, uh, it's, well, to me, it's, it's a really good thing to do. I do remember Richard and I, the first year, doing that whole thing of, oh, it's just a hallmark day. And I did that terrible thing that women do and said, let's not buy each other anything. Sure, we don't need to market. And of course, the day arrives and I had bought him a gift and a card and he could not get over how I wasn't talking to him. I was in a huff. Eventually, he got the message and drove all over London and found this massive vase, about two foot tall, full of flowers to bring home. I still have it. It makes me laugh all the time when I saw him coming through the door with it. But, you know, there was another year we were impoverished journalists and we had no money, and he gave me a card, the best present I've ever had in my life. And inside, it said, this card entitles you to one yes, and it expires after a year. I had such fun with that, Jess. I'm never going to reveal to you what I used it for in the it end. Was, it was a hint, anyway, Nora. Come on. unexpected. It was some kind of hint. Uh, in what category? What, what category was it in? Well, I, well I, I could have chosen for, you know, the baby. You know, there was definitely moments in the middle of the night when I thought it's your turn to get up and feed the baby, and I didn't. Um, Daddy, if I go to the category, you're going to have to do a trigger warning. That's the truth. <laughs> we can deal with the trigger warning, don't you worry. <laughs> I, I like presents that are inexpensive, I must yeah. say. They're kind of cuter, aren't they? Yes. Like alphabetty spaghetti and write something sweet on somebody's toast in the morning. Anton, So I run the first again. So alphabetty spaghetti. As a romantic gift on yes. Valentine's morning, yeah. you wake up and somebody has spelled out your name in alphabetty spaghetti Not on your toast name. Maybe something you... like I love you in spaghetti. Really? I think that was cute. I, I didn't do that. Phrase. A friend of mine did it probably. <laughs> I heard well, about that's it. That's a warning. That's. Um, now, I wonder are our, our viewers a romantic bunch? Well, we've asked them if they do celebrate yeah. Valentine's Day. And almost a third say they do celebrate it, so 31%. And those who do celebrate it spend between 20 and 60 euro. That's not so a little tamer than what you were saying there, Geraldine. Yeah. Like, how yeah. many are forced to celebrate it, though, Geraldine? Well, that's what I'd wonder about. But I mean, look, there are cheaper ways of doing it. I think what Connor is looking at is if you go the whole hog and you do the flowers, you do the dinner out, you know, that's the sort of money you're looking at. But I'm sure there's lots of people around the country who will do it, you know, yeah, economically. Yeah, spaghetti job. And, so I didn't even one, think of that one. this for three quid. One person who got back in touch said that they spend as little as possible. So, uh, well, that's just not romantic. It's about spending time with people, isn't it? That's what Being it is. Being there for someone all year round. It's the thought that counts. Yeah. It's Valentine's Day. Your I thought presence about you. is your presence. <laughs> 
stuff. I'm going to write that down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep that one now. And the other one's brilliant. We have time for one more story. Uh, tell us all about uh, Killian Murphy. Yes, this is Killian Murphy, who is the, it seems, the single most introverted actor and potential Oscar winner that the world has ever created. He spends his time on red carpets. I think he would say this himself, yeah. desperately trying to hide behind lampposts, other actors yeah. and <laughs> photographers. He seems deeply uncomfortable with the glare of publicity in quite a, a likeable way in that he sort of, I've done my job now, can I go away? He was interviewed saying that despite this, he's going to try to make the best of his Oscar moment. And it has raised that the sort of the, the question about how much do people dread those kind of big social events where you have to grin and yeah. be nice to people for extended periods of time. Yeah. What, what do you think, I don't know. I, I, in fairness to Killian Murphy, the Oscars have to be one of the most like nerve-wracking times because we've we've watched so many people over the years really gush and really lose the plot completely. So I do think no matter how prepared you are, and it seems he's, he's most likely to win it, I think no matter how prepared you are, you would stand up there and just be terrified that, you know, you thank your granddad and your granny and all sorts. And, you know, so I, I think, uh, you know, it, it, it is it's it's nerve-wracking. The losing would be the real problem. Like, if you lost to somebody who you thought was terrible, and you know <laughs> yeah. they're going to do the cutaway shot But of you, you know that's... You just do... That's easier than standing up. Yeah, yeah you, you'd really have to rehearse that, wouldn't you? But they're all actors, of course, so they should be good at it. Exactly. But the yeah. bit I think that he's worried about is, apart from... Because obviously having your peers tell you you're wonderful can't be that difficult, mm. but the bit around it of all of the press and mm. having yeah. to rub shoulders with everybody... And then we go back to work then after to make the next movie. Nora, we'll give you the final say on this one. Well, I'm I'm very socially awkward, especially, you know, if you go to an event and there's drinks beforehand and you have to kind of, you have to kind of, I don't know, break into clusters of people. I usually arrive and go to the toilet until it's time to sit down. And then somebody who came from hell designed free seating where you have to actually find somebody to sit with. And uh, in London once I walked into a room and I was trying to pretend I knew somebody at the back of the room and spotted a man against the wall. I literally talked at him for 30 minutes to try and pass the whole drinking time bit, then grabbed his arm as we came into the ballroom. It was in the Savoy, posh, I know, <laughs> nothing like the Oscars. And then just as we were about to sit down, and I was holding out a chair to him. He said, Madam, I'm the maitre d', and I'm going to have to do some work now, if that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> With that, Nora, we're going to leave it there, Nora. Thank you very much, Jorlin and Anton. Thanks, Emil, for listening. Don't forget, you can tune into the Today Show every weekday on RT1 from 3.30. Or if you miss the show, you can always watch us back on the RT player. Visit rt.ie forward slash player. Stay tuned. 